Hi, it's Christine. Welcome back to Perfectly Imperfect. Before we get into today's episode, wanted to do a couple of quick announcements. The first one is that we're doing weekly journaling together. So we decided, since we talk about journaling so much and how therapeutic and necessary it is for your mental health, that we wanted to do it together with you guys. We asked our really good friend, Jennifer Chan, to hand letter some beautiful weekly journal prompts that we can do together. And we've also made them available for free downloads at our shop. If you want, you can go to our shop, which is xoxochristine.com and click the shop button and then click the free downloads and you'll have our weekly journal prompts, which you can print out and tape it or glue it onto your journals to make it look nice and pretty. I have been using washi tape just because I don't have the prettiest handwriting, but Jen does. So I've been using that. And we'll pop in every week on our Instagram at perfectly.imperfect.podcast to either do some videos or live IG so that we can journal together and talk more deeply about these questions. So last week, it was with Regina and the question we wanted to start off something that was, it was easier and something that, you know, it's a good reflection, which is what are you thankful for right now? For me, I definitely am thankful for my family being able to call my parents whenever I want. Jack on obviously us getting engaged and just having someone that is just a beautiful partner in my life. My brother who has been my rock. Obviously you guys for this beautiful community that I can talk openly and honestly about and have you guys share your stories. There's just so much to be thankful for from the big things to the little daily things. It really is about just retraining your brain to see all the beautiful blessings that you have on a daily level. Second announcement, which Regina has shared with you guys, which I hope you guys already know that we released our first merch, which is journals. (laughs) They're beautiful journals titled Untold Stories, which based off of the first announcement of like the weekly journal prompts, it helps you dig into the different parts of yourself that have been unconscious or that you, you know, like you feel the feelings, but you've never wrote it down to really see it for yourself. So for those of you who haven't gone to see a therapist, or a life coach or have a hard time expressing your feelings, journaling is the perfect way to do it. We're so excited to share this with you guys that we actually have our first tangible product that we made and designed with love and it took us a while because You know, we wanted to come out with something that was meaningful, that was us, and that we can share with you guys. So be sure to grab them for yourself as well as, you know, it's the holidays. What a perfect gift it is to share it with a friend that you encourage them to write down their stories, take some time for themselves, for their mental health. Super, super important and a beautiful gift to give this year. And the third announcement is that we have a newsletter. We actually released our first newsletter last week. It was beautifully designed by Regina. It's just a great way for us to keep in touch with you guys with any announcements. All of that you can find again at our shop, which is again on xoxochristine.com and click the shop button. We'll also link it in the description box below. And without further ado, thank you so much for staying with me throughout this announcement. Let's jump into today's special bonus episode, which is part two of our in-person live event, Off the Mic. And it's our second panel, which has Helen, Minji, and myself. It's called Create and Innovate, which we talk about building the foundation to make your daydreams into a reality with actionable ideas and breakthrough tips. So we really, instead of just just talking about your dreams and all that, we actually share the tips and tools that we have used to really 
implement some of these daydreams into reality for us. And for me, you know, creating this podcast with Regina, starting my life coaching business, starting an LLC, creating this product with Regina, all these things this year and throughout our lives that we've picked up I want to share with you guys. So I hope you guys enjoy and we'll talk soon. Bye. I mean, bye for now. I just came by to stir your soul up a bit. This is the Perfectly Imperfect Podcast with Regina and Christine, where we share our stories as women openly and honestly. We believe it's through our journeys, our happy and sad times that connect us as sisters, because we're all perfectly imperfect. Are you ladies ready? So ready. I was we're ready. ready. All right. So the next panel is going to be called Create and Innovate. <laughs> And this focus of this panel is to how the focus of this panel is how to implement a desired vision. Um, you have it in you, so let's unlock your potential. So there are many instances in our lives when we have an inclination to do something or make something, whether that's a project or shifting our lifestyle altogether. Uh, so today we have three beautiful ladies joining us who are going to introduce themselves and share with you a little bit about their experience of creating and innovating. Yay! Yay. Hey, who wants to start? Helen. Um, I'm Helen. Um, I'm a Sagittarius. <laughs> I feel like all the ABG ladies, like, intros are always like a dating profile. <laughs> yeah, two of us are single. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an ESFPA from Myers Briggs. You can psychoanalyze me. Um, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. Any East Coasters in here? Woo! All right. Like five or so. Nice. Yeah. East Coaster. Um, and I graduated from Boston College, double major in finance and marketing. And I have been working at a big four, working in M&A, mergers and acquisitions, uh, valuation of private companies for the past nine years. Yeah. So I am one of those people yes. that just went to corporate and stuck with it. I, I didn't understand half the thing you just said. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been living in LA for the past six years and I'm a uh, part of ABG. Yes. Woo. My name is Minji. We all know this by now. I am from the Bay Area. Woohoo! Uh, born and raised, and uh, I'm a Cancer. Rare, we're rare. And what, what? I went to UC Berkeley. I studied public health. I was a pre-med, you know, bio nerd. Still am. I'm very proud. Um, but I pursued careers in public health and violence prevention. Um, Violent, preventing violence against women and children. For several years, I worked in tech uh, at Macy's.com. And during that time, I started volunteering for a nonprofit called Collaboration. And um, I helped start the Bay Area chapter. So I've been part of Collaboration for 10 years now. Today, I actually, September marked 10 years of uh, being very passionate about Asian American creatives. And in that time, decided to uh, take that on full time. I got offered the global executive director job. I took it. So that was frightening. And then uh, also started acting. Um, and then last year, stepped down from collaboration to pursue being a full-time creative. So I've been freelancing and hustling like a mother for the last year and a half. Uh, and I've been in L.A. for five years now. Wow. Yay. Amazing. Hi, I'm Christine. Ah, uh, my life. Um, what is it? Okay, so we're saying, okay, I went to Cal State Long Beach. I was a marketing major. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And I went to Disney. I went, had an internship, which ended up being the college program. And it was like cheap labor and all that. So I decided <laughs> I didn't want to do that. I also interned at DreamWorks Animation. And that's where it started my uh, career in special events. So after that, I was like, oh my God, yeah, you get to 
get paid for a living to plan events? Sure. So then I went into that and then went into weddings and realized, I'm not sure if I want to do this. <laughs> and then that's when I got into the Asian American field and I literally typed in Asian Americans in entertainment and the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival popped up and that's where I entered into the world of Asians. <laughs> even though even though I grew up in 626. And then from there, um, I met Wang Fu. And then from there, I became a YouTube producer. And then from there, I went from behind the camera to in front of the camera. And that was really weird. And then from there, I left and then became went from behind the camera to on the podcast. And then from that, I went to a depression. And then now I'm a life coach. <laughs> Yeah, okay, that's my story. So real. Yes, so real. transitions. Yeah, we're all back so to panel one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay, so you know, obviously, all of us are on podcast. We, we've had the desire to pursue something more. So, when did you guys recognize you wanted to do more in your life than what you're doing currently? So, when did you guys know the desire for more? It's a real um, question. I think for me, it's it. There's two points in my life that I can think back to, um, and the first was when I was back in Boston. So as I, as I mentioned, I work in finance, but just thinking back to how this career had started, it literally started with a piece of paper. And I think it's a piece of paper that all of you probably had the people who have gone to college, uh, received. So it was before my first day of college and, uh, I got a letter from the admissions office that had like a bunch of boxes with, it said like, uh, apply to which college you want to go into. And I was like, shit, did I not, not, not get into college? I was like so nervous. I'm like, mom's going to kill me. <laughs> Um, but it said, you know, like Carol's, uh, it was like nursing, education, and then it was like Carol's School of Management. Um, my sister, she's older than me. She's two years older than me and she's already at Boston College and she's in the Carroll School of Management. So I was like, okay, she's, she's the golden child of the family. I was kind of like a rebel child. So I did a lot of like petty stealing when I was younger, uh, hung out with like the bad kids and got caught, which is so ridiculous at like a Walmart. Um, <laughs> yeah. and then I would, I would like, I almost got kicked out of school for like pyro because I would be in the schoolyard like setting leaves on fire. Who it's, it's are you? Like, I, I am know. so okay. in this right now. <laughs> Speak. Gone. So that's when you knew you were destined for something more. Yeah. <laughs> Fire. I know, right? But um, because my sister being the golden child, I was like, oh, she's in this school. Obviously, that's what I should be checking off, right? So this like in an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, single piece of paper, I, I honestly thought it was just like a survey of like, what would you like to do? And I just checked it off, sent it off and didn't even like consult with my parents or anything. And I was like, I'll check off the management school. And that was it. That has literally set the trajectory for the rest of my life. And here I am now. Um, but after that, I feel like I did sort of like the, you guys mentioned earlier, like the, the Asian mentality of like, once you're in something, just go like full on into it. So of course the school is like pretty competitive and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get a good job and I'm going to, you know, and also I think the, just making sure that my immigrant parents are proud of me too. So I wanted to do a good job at it. So I got a good job. I landed um, a job at the big four and I was in Boston and I was there for three years and I was like on the outside. I think a lot of people saw me as like really happy because I had a good job. I had a stable boyfriend for three or four years and we were even like talking about marriage at that time. Right. Um, living at home, making good money. And people were like, Helen, why are, why are you so sad? I was miserable. I was really sad back home. So I knew that at that point I wanted to do something more. And that's why I moved to Los Angeles. So that was my first time. And we are so happy you did. Yeah. yeah. Second time, I would say, was two years. <laughs> Sorry, my little long story, right? I haven't talked on the first panel. Um, <laughs> second time was uh, when Asian Boss Girl just started. It was something that I always knew that I wanted to do, do something bigger than just like a corporate job because that's literally 
in the cubicle desk job for a long period of time. Um, and it felt so familiar because in college, I was a president of the Chinese Students Association. And I was so passionate about the community that we built for, you know, the freshman incoming class. And it was just such a beautiful environment. And it's like once you leave college, you kind of just forget all of that because you join the rat race, you try to climb the corporate ladder. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, that part of me, it has been left behind. So when this started, Asian Boss Girl started, I was like, oh, I'm like an Asian baby girl elevated to Asian boss girl, you know? Are you still an ABG? So it felt very much like a part of me and a part of a journey that I wanted to be on. And I knew that that was, that is now me re reaching into wanting something more. Nice. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So supportive, ladies. That is Christine. Um, yeah, how about you, Minji? I grew up wanting to do something helpful. I think I really enjoy the idea of doing something like being a teacher or being a doctor. So I did well in school. I enjoyed school. I was very achievement-oriented. There's a lot of layers beneath that. Tune into the podcast. Um, but I was on I this track. This. <laughs> I mean, it's plugs. We can't talk about everything right now. But um, I was very like an achievement-oriented uh student and child. I was very religious growing up. I really um, found a lot of identity in my family, my culture, and my church, and my friends, right? And being popular, and like all the things that like mattered as a teenager. Um, and I was on this track to pursue medicine, and I wanted to help people. I thought science was amazing. I had an aptitude for it, so great. Um, and that seemed pretty set, and that was exciting to me, even though I, I had inklings of wanting to be in the world of film when I was young, um, but really why I was part of collaboration was I didn't see anybody that looked like me. I didn't have role models. I wasn't conscious of that either. Um, just like invisibility just is invisibility. I didn't see myself out there, so it didn't really enter my mind as even an option. Um, but the thing that I think really, I'll get very honest with everyone because it's already on my podcast. Um, I was in a very abusive relationship for five years from when I was 14 until when I was 19. And it was with an older guy from church. And so there were a lot of different layers of control and emotional abuse and like um, tearing away at, at things that I thought were good about me. And again, I was a very achievement-oriented young person. I was in ASB. I was this, you know, class president. I even got homecoming princess. Like I had a lot of these external validations, um, things, and in a very like predominantly Caucasian high school. Like it was those things meant a lot to me because I just put my head to the grindstone, and I felt like people really appreciated it. And those things gave me a lot of um, happiness and a lot of hope, honestly. While in the, the dark recesses of my secret life, I was dating somebody that was really kind of tearing away at who I am um, on a daily basis. And it got and, you know, it got pretty dark. But during that time, um, it definitely taught me resilience. It taught me how to, like, get up every single day and, like, fight for myself. And I feel like that's a big part of I don't want to, like, fight in an angry way, but I felt like I had to defend my own sanity and, like, my own sense of who I am and what I want and that that's okay like when you talk about permission, um, I was always seeking it from other people or like having it put upon me even when I didn't want it. Um, so when I got out of that relationship, which uh, was when I was 19 and when I was in the middle of UC Berkeley and things were unraveling in a very catastrophic way, um, that was a huge, huge moment for me of recognizing that I could ask for more and that I have always wanted to do more and that this is not the only path that I think I am destined to. Um, and there's something really, really beautiful. Stephen, where are you at? 
being lost and having hardship can be some of the best things, right? Like, I think there are a lot of different instances that you personally know in your mind that were the most difficult things that you have ever had to get through. But the thing is, you guys are sitting here. You got through it. And I just want to take a second, like, hopefully have all of you recognize we all go through hard things every day. And having gone through that for me was, like, a huge awakening of, like, I can do whatever I want to do. I can hang out with whoever I want to hang out with. And having that freedom back or, like, realizing I had that freedom was, like, I am not here to be small. Mind you, living that out was like a whole other path, <laughs> but um, it was a huge awakening. And then the other path was like working in Asian America and seeing the dynamic of Hollywood and the racism that does exist and the prejudice and the bias and like these internal structures of things that I think are really ridiculous and seeing what Asian Americans have been doing for so many years, like including so many people in this room to create space for us to matter. That was also like a, a, a prolonged reckoning of like, there's so much we can do. And I've been inspired by so many people in this room to reach for more. And that, um, yeah, being executive director of collaboration has changed my entire life. But as an actor, now transitioning to I want to write stories. I don't only want to be playing the characters that someone hands me. I want to make the characters. And I want to cast everyone in this freaking room to play those characters. Because our stories matter, you know? Um, and no one's going to write that except us. We know the stories, right? So um, it's been a, prog like in the last 10 years, I think a progression, but those are two really big things of always being educated that it's not bad to ask for more um, and that we're all capable of it. Wow, Thank yes, wow. queen. Christine's, yeah. <laughs> I think for me, I was, <laughs> my brother's here, by the way. He's in the back. Michael, calling you out. Yeah, that right there. So I think he know. <laughs> I always kind of knew because I loved movies and I would literally rewatch the same movie over and over and over. Right, Michael? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I think like movies that really spoke out to me were like, like First Wives Club, what, like, not Godfather, but what was the other, uh, uh, mafia movie? Goodfellas, thank you, yes, yeah. Um, you wouldn't think that, really. I love the gangster movies, and I love, like, it's just, it, like, a lot of it was around family, loyalty, and just being part of something that, I guess it's crime, or, <laughs> or, yeah, or fighting for something, right? And there was just something about that that I really connected to, and I think as a child, rewatching it, it just kind of went into my subconscious of wanting to be part of something that was bigger than medicine and being a lawyer. <laughs> when we, when I was growing up, as young as the fifth grade, my mom was already handing me SAT stuff to study. And I was like, I don't want it, you know? And I'm the first child. It was a lot of pressure of you molding me into what they wanted me to be. And then realizing high school that I'm none of these things. Like, I don't, I don't, why am I doing this? You know? And I think that hit me a lot earlier, maybe because it was during surge of hormones and angst and all of that, that I rebelled like crazy. And then through that, I think it gave me kind of that, like, you know what? I'm not just going to go into what you say you want me to do. I'm not going to should anything, you know? So <laughs> I went to Cal State Long Beach. <laughs> not that that's a bad thing. It's through that curiosity, right? Because I'm like, if I'm not going to go into medicine, if I'm not going to do what my parents want me to do, then what is it that I want to do? And the thing that even now, now that I'm 35 and looking back through that experience, it was like there was a core of something to myself that I was seeking. And that core, I could tell you right now, is connection, deep connection with other human beings. And that's something that ran really deep 
to my core, even as we were growing up, running around, we grew up in church, and I love to just care for people, and like, you know, they would come over, I'm like, do you guys want milk? Do you guys want to watch me? Like, I, I love like just bonding with people, and I think through the different experiences of marketing, and then going to, and then once I did marketing and special events, I thought that was it. Every point of my life, I was like, I think this is it. You take kind of cookie crumb moments, and there's that I would say there's like a feeling, right? There's like a moment that I can pinpoint at every single point. I'm like, oh, so this is what it feels like. And then like you fast forward like six months later, I'm like, oh, this is not what I want to do, you know? And I think pushing through that and at the very end, there was a lot of self-judgment in that. Like, why can't you just get it right? What is wrong with you? You know, you have so many great opportunities. You chose this path. You have to prove yourself now. And I think looking back at it now, I would just say that, I would really just hone on to even as simple as I like connecting with somebody because that's what I'm getting paid to do now. And I never would have thought that was an opportunity. Just like being a YouTube producer was not an opportunity until I came into it. It's just like the world will open up in ways that you never foresee, but the true connection that is sustainable. There's the difference between a temporary high of temporary fulfillment to a sustainable fulfillment. And that sustainable fulfillment is really what we want to talk about today. Thank you for sharing. That was great. We talked about kind of recognizing when you first have a, or instances where you have a desire to create some sort of change or start a project or, or do something like that, right? So as a part of that experience, um, oftentimes in that journey, you have to deal with either failure itself or the fear of failure. So how have you ladies um, either encountered that or managed that? Do you have any advice or anything you want to talk about the topic of feeling failure? Hmm. Um. So I think it, it wasn't until I hit 30, yes, I'm over 30, um, that I, I know this feeling of fail, of failure and, or feeling like I'm gonna fail. And I feel like it is equal parts like excitement too, right? It's like two sides of the same coin. You, you, your heart starts, like right now, your heart starts palpitating. <laughs> your hands start getting sweaty. It's like, whoo, hope no one sees the stains. You know, I put on a lot of deodorant this morning. Um, but it's like, if you were to look at it as excitement instead of fear, sometimes that can help you see it as fun. And to be honest, like, okay, I'm going to, uh, to be honest with all of you guys here, like, I hate public speaking. Okay. You could probably hear a little quiver in my voice. Like some people don't like their eyes. I hate this quiver. Um, but it, it started, it started. Okay. Let me tell you where it started from. It started from eighth grade declamation. Do you, have you guys ever had declamation? Do you know what that is? So it's um, a, a, an actual grade on your report card, and it's part of English. But you, um, do you hear that? Um, but you have to stand in front of, of the class. You memorize a poem or a script, whatever you want to memorize, and you have to recite it to your class. That was like one of the first C's I ever got in my life, and that like scarred me for life. Okay, I, I, that's why. But the thing is, I know that this is one of my fears, but I also know that for Asian boss girl and what we're trying to do with it that is bigger than my fear. So I will put myself in these situations. I will be here in front of people to just try it out and face my fear so that over time, hopefully, I will not have this fucking quiver. (laughs) Well, I... I I love your quiver. It sounds like a nice vibrato. Uh, I want to (laughs) ask... You know, when you sing... Are you trying uh, to say vibrator? No! Vibrato. That's for our breakout group later, right? Yeah, that's for for the ladies later. Um, I do have a question for Helen. So I think, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of us, you know, come from corporate, and I think wanting to pursue something, or that inkling to want to do something more, it's a little scary because we want to break, we're trying to break that mold that our parents and our family members had set on us working a nine-to-five job. So it's like, how did you deal with, like, doing ABG and also, like, working nine-to-five? Like, how did, did did you have a fear with that? 
it's a little bit easier because I've been working in corporate for so long now. So I think there's like some financial stability there that makes it easier to feel like you can kind of just, you know, take take time. So, I mean, if you think about how the eight-hour work week started, right? It's kind of like you have 24 hours in a day. Eight hours is going to be um, for work, eight hours for sleep, and eight hours for personal time. And so I always look at that personal time, and I think to myself, what am I doing with that time? So before ABG, it was going to the gym, it was cooking. And then ABG came about, and I would say that a lot of people, you know, they go home and they watch Netflix, or, you know, they cook or gym. Now, I we take that time, and we are answering emails, and we were trying to push this small company, like, forward. Right. So that to me, um, one feeling like I had some stability within my job and also just feeling like there is actually a lot of time in your day to take take ownership of that day. Any fears? Um, um, fears and failures. <laughs> yes. Tons of them every day. Um, well, definitely freelancing. I, I feel like the, in, there is definitely the instability of that and um, having to. In your, th in my thirties, having chosen and made the decision to do that. And one of the biggest, uh, failure points to answer Janet's question as well was telling my parents. Um, the most common question that I got traveling all across North America for collaboration, meeting all these independent artists. One of the main questions I heard all across literally all of Asian America was, how did you tell your parents? How did you, how did you, how did you own like what you wanted to do? And then how the hell did you tell them like that you wanted to do that because there's it's a very loaded thing and I don't think it's only for Asian Americans but it's a very significant part of like our culture of Confucian values and honoring your parents and then the, the fact that you know they came over and left everything that they knew to build a better life and that they have these wishes and that there's a huge part of you that wants to fulfill that and there's a lot of value that I put on like making them happy um, but you know then the American side of me is like I'm my own person and I can you know, I'm an independent spirit. Don't try to drag me down with all your, you know, old ways. And it's this, and this, this is like the identity that I think is very unique to, um, immigrant children. And, um, I think it's also what makes us special. It's like a, just a unique experience. So the failure in, um, deciding to take the job for collaboration, which I rejected for a full year because it was offered to me in 2012 and I didn't take it until 2013. I took it without consulting my parents. And it, it had an extra layer because of what I'd gone through as a teenager. Like the, the bad relationship set a very interesting precedent in my life because I'd already hurt my family very significantly. And so we had to heal from that. And then to further disappoint them was a really big thing for me. But I don't know what possessed me or if I just had like a massive amount of faith in myself or I am just that rebellious or whatever it is. You know, I kind of just banked on the fact that I'll figure it out. So telling them was, I I legit thought I was going to have a heart attack. Like, I remember driving to the dinner. I remember the sushi restaurant we were at. Like, it was it, it was very terrifying to see the disappointment on their faces. Um, they actually weren't that pissed off that I did that, but they were pissed that I did it without talking to them. And they're like, you already quit? Like, what? And so um, that was a, a big moment where I did feel like I had done something wrong, and I just had been so adverse to, like, make disappointing people. Like, I didn't, I don't like that feeling when I've let you down. It just sucks. Like, I, I will sit in that for a really long time. And my parents matter a lot. Um, so, yeah, just, like, figuring out how to navigate that, I had to learn how to communicate with them. Like, I had to learn how to explain why I truly believe that I'm applying my college degree to art. You know, public health is a science, but I think that there's science to art, and I have to argue that. And sometimes that actually helps me carve out 
my job. Like it actually clarifies like why I'm doing it, arguing with my parents or like debating with my dad. My mom's like, yay. And my dad's like, really though? Um, it actually has helped. So I, I have a, a thing with my, with my, um, mindset of trying to turn minuses into pluses. Like how can I turn this really terrible situation into something that's making me better, making me smarter, making me more strategic, whatever. So failure, I mean, literally on the other side of failure is success. And that's how you define it. I think for me, learning to redefine what failure means, I know that sounds really cliche, but like I've been in the period of like reframing things. And I think the idea of failure is something that is ingrained in us, especially with our upbringing of our parents. Like what I've been learning as a life coach too, it's like, what is the story that you tell yourself around this word or around fear? And there's so much behind that that subconsciously happens that we're not aware of, but that definitely affect our decisions and how we show up or how we even talk to people. So I think for me, the idea of fear or failing was always this idea of like, I'm not perfect and not being able to face that. I think there's something about being, and you guys can tell me if you had a similar experience, but especially being an Asian woman, there was kind of this like, my parents carving me out to be you're going to be someone's wife one day, you know? So like, how, how are you going to show up as like the best version of that? And it's almost like you can't make a mistake. You always have to be considerate of other people. Don't be a disappointment. You're always thinking about somebody else. And I think for me, with a lot of inner work, realizing the fear around failing was tying to what you said about being a disappointment. And I think being able to do the inner work and connect to that really has released me of this fear or just the idea of failure and that's what I'm able to do with the reframing because now with failure it's not it's not failure to me because even if I fail it's by somebody else's definition not my own a lot of us are tied to the outcome and I was just talking about it with somebody where it was like we're so like we go into something we're like this is going to be the it job this relationship is this going to be the man be the one and you're so tied to that outcome whatever that fantasy version is in your head and that story that you've committed to that you're not aware of and then when it doesn't happen that way, then suddenly you feel like a failure. Like, what happened, right? But it's because you're not recognizing what's what's really, like, the signs that have been there. And that the point is not the outcome. The point may not have been this man is going to be the one, you know, or that this job is going to be the it job for you. Perhaps the opportunity in that was for you to, to learn more self-value in yourself. Like, oh, I'm going to have no man treat me like that no more, you know? Or like, oh, I like this job didn't work out. I really sucked at it. That's okay. So I'm not going to do that anymore. And I think we were talking about getting a lot of no answers versus yes answers. No answers are still answers. And I think it's giving your an encouragement to yourself that even if you feel like you're at a standstill, it's still progress. Even if it's minuscule, it's still progress. And I think we take that away from ourselves so often. We actually feel like we're like, like behind. But that's the type of stuff, the stories that we're telling ourselves that contribute to the fear and to failure. So it's not failure. It's growth opportunities. That was beautiful. Thank you. Hey, where's my passion planner? I need to write some notes right now. <laughs> I don't have any. Um, but no, you guys, ladies. So it sounds like all you guys... Sounds like you guys are went through a lot to figure out like what failure means to you and how to cope with that. Um, I think another thing right now, as, as you guys are talking, it's like you guys are all stepping in these different roles, like ABG, the podcast, you know, being being an actress, you know, being a writer and being a life coach. I think these are all roles that in the Asian American space are kind of foreign to us. Right. So I think one thing we deal with a lot is imposter syndrome. So how have you have you guys dealt with imposter syndrome and how do you guys cope with it? 
since we're going down the line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I feel like I, I face imposter syndrome every day, um, whether it's at work or, um, or even Asian Boss Girl, right, on the podcast. Because I think you do for ABG, you, I feel like I have to represent a lot of, you know, the podcast for the modern day Asian American woman. I'm like, okay, that's me. Okay, I have to be that person, right? Yet I have days where I struggle and I'm really sad. I just want to hide under my covers, right? And I'm like, I am not a boss right now. <laughs> I'm a boss of my emotions. That's what I am. Um, but I, I, there's a part of me that feels like imposter syndrome, especially, I mean, a lot of us here are Asian. It does come from, I would say like childhood, right? Like my parents, at least, they would tell me like, oh, like you're too skinny. Oh, you ate too much. Oh, you didn't get the straight A's, right? So we're always constantly negative, negatively reinforced and told that we're not enough. And I, so I feel like it does come from when we were like children and then it's inherent in us. And then we grow into adults and all of a sudden we're like in these random places and we're like, oh my God, I don't belong here, right? So I would say that, yeah, it, I get that feeling basically every day. Um, how do I deal with it? Uh, for ABG specifically, I do tell myself that, you know, these are my stories and these are my words and these are my perspectives. And so I'm just going to tell it as authentically as I can. And if you don't like it, I mean, like, go tell your own story, right? <laughs> like, so that's like my empowering side of me. And then I have the other side of me that's like, oh, no, you're not doing enough. So I, uh, there's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of work that needs to be yeah, done. In this yeah. head of but you're working it. Yeah. You're working yeah. every day. Uh, imposter syndrome, yes, every... Less, I actually very happy to say less so now, um, but still very frequently. And I think uh, getting adapting to new situations, like when I moved in the Bay Area from a very diverse part of the Bay to a very Caucasian part of the Bay, it was during the 90s. I'm dating myself, but um, it was during the 90s and I felt very othered, um, but I adapted. And I think those things, like being in those foreign situations, um, the more that we go through them, the more that we feel like, oh, I've been through something weird. This feels the same as that. It's just in a different scenario. You learn how to adapt. And I think adaptability and resilience are like the two most key things, I think, in life. Because everything will keep throwing at you once you feel comfortable here. You're going to start feeling uncomfortable there. I felt a lot of imposter syndrome as a female leader. Um, being a female Asian leader in the Asian American space, Love you, Dan. I love you, Jason. It's a lot of dudes, and I love all of them, but I felt like the females were, like, very... I was one of the few female leaders. Now there's Michelle Sugihara from Cape, yes. like, handling it. Woo. And, like, there's more now. And in, in the in the interim, I didn't see a lot of other female um, leaders there, and so I felt a lot of intimidation and a lot of imposter syndrome about being taken seriously. And it was in these very subtle ways that I, people just wouldn't, like, the 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 red like my voice wasn't registering in their ears i would like say an idea and then, like it's like yeah. no one had spoken and i'm like okay um just things like that definitely fed into that like i don't belong here um clearly i'm not valued and to this day who knows if it was like a projection of something that i was already thinking and then like projecting out and manifesting or if it was the actual situation it's probably a combination of both. probably situation yeah it was it was a lot um and those moments were very key to uh figure out what are my strategies again this sucks what am i going to do about it um and so for me the thing the way i've coped with it a lot of it's been guided meditation like a lot of these concepts like do yoga go running do med they work. That's, that's why they're cliche. That's why it's like a thing that people say over and over again. It's the discipline of doing it that I felt was absent from my life. I knew there's so many things that would be good for me. And, um, I literally was just like brainwashing myself with confidence meditations in bed every night. Cause I would lay in bed and I'd be like, 
I failed so hard today. You know, I'm leading a national organization. I only got so many responses. I have so many meetings. How do I know that I can make this fundraising goal? How do I know that this isn't going to fail? And I'd be laying in bed. And those are the thoughts that were like going to bed with me. And I know you guys know about like Delta, like your brain waves. What you think about as you fall asleep are very like deep. They get embedded into your, this is my bio side. Our brains are machines. You know what I'm saying? So I was just like, I'm going to put good things into my brain. I will hack my own brain because I'm sick of like having this limit on my own self. It's just so exhausting. Um, so I really highly recommend I did guided meditations. Now I do it when I'm awake, <laughs> um, like five minutes a day. It's just like little things like that. I was just hoping if today I can move a half degree and feel a little bit less like an imposter, then I feel like I've succeeded. And it's been a long road and I still struggle with it, but here like, we are. I mean, that's, that's why we're having these conversations because like everyone feels that way. I'm sure guys feel that way, but I think like because we talk about amongst girls, there's more of that, like, I don't belong here, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely felt that at Wang Fu. <laughs> way to call out Wang Fu. But like, you know, I mean, like, I, I love Wang Fu, but I was also the only girl there for a really long time. And I really felt like just what you said, like, I would say something and all the guys would just be like, what? That's not the point. I'd be like, that's exactly my point, you know? <laughs> and then I think I was like trying to bring it from a woman's perspective and just feeling like I didn't have the background in film. And even though like Phil West and Ted at the time also didn't, like in terms of they didn't go to like film school and stuff, we all kind of felt that like there was kind of that no one wanted to take ownership. They, did, they didn't call themselves directors at the time, right? They're just like, oh, we're just people that like to shoot things, you know? And I'm like, oh, I'm just the person that likes to help them, you know? So there was like, no, <laughs> yeah, there was no like ownership of anything. And there was almost like that company culture of feeling like we were imposters in a way so I felt I really felt that because I really felt like I didn't belong my entire time there I really felt like I I don't belong here and it didn't maybe didn't seem that way from the outside but I really just felt like I don't have the skills I'm not vibing on the same page with like any of these guys when we're talking about content and like you know, from a female perspective and I'm not knocking them. It's just like, there's, that's their perspective. Right. And then, so for me, it was a lot of confirmation bias. And at looking at the time, I was really angry. <laughs> I was like, listen to me. This is what and I started to get really, really resentful about it. But then through my depression and through like now life coaching, I realized like a lot of it was not to say that that doesn't exist. So sometimes like our circumstances really aren't that great right and maybe your boss is really crappy or maybe your parents are not forgiving of you etc but then we have a choice from where we look at it what is the lens and perspective that we bring into the situation and I think because I was looking for because I believed it within myself internally that I don't have inherent value that I was seeking external validation from anyone around me especially at work so every time my idea didn't get taken or I didn't feel like I was getting taken seriously it's because I wasn't taking myself seriously so then when I communicate that I can see how other people will be like, wait, so what, what, what is it that you're trying to say? So I have that doubt and I have that confirmation bias because I get that feedback and I'm like, oh shoot, ah, they don't like it, you know? And then it just kind of feeds in itself. And I think it really just comes from doing the self-work to like everyone has inherent value and self-worth. I know that sounds really like woo-woo, but I think that's really the heart of it because wherever you go, whoever you meet, when you bring that yourself, it doesn't matter what that person comes in with that energy. It doesn't matter what their external validation is. So that's imposter syndrome. It's not valid because as long as you try to work and practice authenticity and honesty, then you are never an imposter of yourself. 
And I think that's what I realized about me was that I'm going to share my opinion. I'm going to hold these discussions. If you don't resonate with it, that's completely okay because like some things that some people say don't really resonate with me, right? But if it's their truth, then I want to hear it. I want to be open to in taking that because the more that I learn about other people, the more that I learn about myself as a human being. So I think that in itself for me at this point in my life, I don't really struggle with imposter syndrome as much. It does take practice. Yeah. But I think one thing I'm hearing, though, is that when you do feel imposter syndrome, usually it's when you're surrounded by men, right? You're working in a room full of people who don't really understand you, and you're like, am I not making sense? I, no, feel, I, I feel that way with some women. With I feel some that way with women, women, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, no. Never mind. It's, it's, no, no, but, but the, it's, yeah, no, 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 no. No, but it's definitely... No, no, but, it's valid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, because I in in, say, like a boardroom where it's mostly men for me, right? And I'm like one of my, my by myself or one of two women and we bring up some ideas and the guys are kind of just like um i mean let's table that one and you table yours don't table mine <laughs> i get so angry but yeah i mean i do think that it's important to have more women in the room i've been so yes. many situations where i'm just like oh my gosh if there was another female in here she would understand what i am trying yes. to say yes and so yeah i i think you know, representation is something that we all say like really, really matters, but especially within like industries kind of like ours, right? In entertainment, in the corporate world, it's so important because otherwise I internalize so many things because I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But I'm like, but that's human in me. That's like, that should have been an okay thing to say. And I'm like, I'm pretty filtered at work too. So it's like, yeah. come on. Yeah. And so you feel like you, you changed it's code switching, right? Like you, oh, you, yeah. you become a different person based on whichever room you're in. Like for me, I got so used to being around Asian Americans. When I'm in a room of non-Asians, like it, it is a different version of me. I do become a lot quieter and I'm like, ugh, like struggling because I was like, I'm being what they think I am and I don't like yeah. it. And, um, it was interesting. I was in a writing room. Well, it wasn't even right. It was a table read for a, a, a pilot for a ensemble cast thing. It was great. I loved everybody in there. I was the, uh, you know, like um, did anyone watch, watch Parks and Recreation? I was April. The, the character that I'm playing is like the cranky millennial hostess. And um, I had the least amount of lines, but I had to be there for the table read. And after everyone left, we had an assignment to like write your backstory. Like that's just an exercise that directors ask. And two, really, I honestly really like them. And they're two white guys. And they're like, can everyone write a backstory about who your character is? So I did. I said, she is, her family owns an, a Korean restaurant. She can run a restaurant in her sleep because she's been doing it for like the last 20 years. But nobody knows that at work. And so all she does is like judge everybody. Like I made this whole story. I wrote a paragraph and then they came back and they're like, yo, that was so good. And I was like, oh, thank you. You know, I just made my character. And they're like, can you help us write the other episodes? And I was like, huh? <laughs> like what? And they're like, it was just so creative. And these moments like that, I was like, I didn't even think I belong there. And then it was, it was weird dynamic too. Cause I did, I wrote all these other things to beef up. It was my intention to beef up the other diverse characters. Um, to give them more lines or more jokes or whatever. They opted for some, not for all. And so again, it's like figuring out what fight you're going to fight. But like those points of recognition of like, okay, so you asked for my help, but you don't want it because it, I don't know. It's just weird how, how that gets confirmed or like how different rooms will dictate how you suddenly feel confident and then it gets taken away. I don't know. Just no, I, I completely agree with that. And I think a lot of it too, communicating that to the people. I didn't communicate that with Wang Fu. I just got mad at them. <laughs> but like, it really is like being able to tap into, and this is why journaling is good because then you can really try to process what is it that you're telling yourself? What are you feeling and why? Because like, then you're able to 
communicate that, give give the people around you the opportunity. And then, then you can also intake their feedback. Because a lot of what I, let's say me feeling an imposter syndrome in Wang Fu was that they don't respect me. I don't feel accepted. But I like looking back now, it's like that was in my own head. But if I, had I talked to them about it and really shared that, I'm pretty, right, Taylor? You would have been like, no, we love you, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He, he gave a thumbs up. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of like, when you actually communicate that with other people, but start communicating with yourself first. Why do you feel like an imposter? And then what is it that you, what is it that like you want to communicate or want to feel because of this? And a lot of that, well, I mean, this is all inner work, but a lot of that is tied to inner wounds, inner child wounds. So, yeah. All right. So you guys kind of already touched on our, like, you know, taking action, how to deal with imposter syndrome and when you feel this inkling. So, so to wrap up this panel before we hand into Q&A, so what is something looking back you're grateful you had throughout this process of finding this, this passion project or this inkling of something more? So what's something looking back you're grateful you had? Helen, I'll take the burden off of you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I got you, girl. Um, what am I thankful for? Yeah. I grew up really sensitive and really scared of everything. Like, I didn't ride roller coasters till I was in middle school. And I regret that because they're amazing. But there's a, I was a very fearful person. I still am a very fearful person. And uh, one thing I'm grateful for is that having certain things at the time that were like my markers of success, like getting achievement, getting a title, like I was really attached to my executive director title and letting go of that to like become the artist and starting, you know, ground zero and like work my way up um, or create my own path wherever I want. It was a really big deal. Um, learning how to acknowledge courage in myself was a really, really big thing that I'm grateful for. Every instance that I was courageous and that I took a role, even if it was ego driven and like just taking a chance and then learning from it, failing, um, feeling embarrassed, feeling disappointed, and then learning how to get back up on my feet again. It solidified something more within me that's like different than having a talent or skill set. It made me just more okay with who I am and more risk taking and more courageous. So I've had the most, like, I feel like you, Janet, like, when you're like, what's my resume? Like, I've had so many overlapping careers. One of the things right now that I'm very grateful for is that because I started acting, right now the thing that I'm actually, and this is in my freelance thing, um, I uh, am a voice actor. Like, I didn't know that my voice would be the thing that was, like, keeping me alive and paying my bills. And it's taking random risks and, like, helping a friend out with a project um, that got me my first voice gig. And like, I just was like, Oh, cool. And then I used it as my resume and I submitted to another thing. I booked it. I submitted to another thing. I booked it. I kept auditioning. And so being courageous, taking risks, leaving back a, a former, I feel like I went in a lot of different circles, but leaving back that former version of yourself and allowing yourself to like create who you want to be and like not being dictated by how you used to be is a really big deal for me. And I don't think I would have learned that if I wasn't, in some cases, flaky, in some cases, undisciplined, and in some cases, just like super audacious. Like, it's a mix of all those things. If I didn't have the audacity to go for it, if I wasn't super lazy and lost this job <laughs> or whatever, it wouldn't have taken me where it is. And then in that, you can like continue to create based on what you want and what you think you can be versus being dictated by what you were. So good. Yeah, I think, you know, going off of that, too, is... I mean, gratitude is such a big word, right? But I really more than ever feel like in whatever circumstance, looking back, being really privileged. And I think we there's like privilege is a really big word that we're talking about, but recognizing my own privilege as an Asian American woman, being able to hold events like this or to express my opinion without fear of some sort of ramification 
looking back that there were times that I just did not recognize that privilege. And if anything, I created a lot of stress, a lot of turmoil or suffering for my own self and felt like that was at the detriment of me. I was like, oh, that's so unfair. But when I really look at it, there was like, this event would have have happened had I not looked around and just been like, I just want to start something now. You know, I'm not going to wait till I'm Oprah. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm going to do it now with the people that I know around me. And the resources are there. There's so many people that want to do amazing things. I don't have to wait till then. I don't have to wait till this point, whatever that point, that destination is in your head. I can start within my own family. And I think, I think that's something where like my own personal family, we've been through a lot. And that's something that has been really hard to navigate. But I realized that even my own relationship with my brother has improved dramatically throughout just like this time period because things were not what we thought it would be within our family. But then realizing this is what we have. Like my dad is not going to change because I want him to change. He's going to be my dad, you know. My mom's going to react a certain way because she's just that way. But what can I do now to start that quality family relationship that I want? And this is what, like, you want to look at this event? I wanted more sisterhood. I, like, talk so much about, like, supporting other women and how do you be a cheerleader for someone without it meaning failure for yourself when you see someone else's success? And then I looked around me. I'm like, I say this stuff, but how am I living it, like, right now? And I looked around, and I was like, there's so many incredible women. There's so many of you guys out there that should be on the stage as well, you know? that I was like, it's here. No, we're not going to be best friends tomorrow. But then just starting that path and journey to connecting, so many amazing people open up to you. And then you feed off of each other. And I think that's where the genuine support comes in. Because I think as women, I don't know if you guys struggle with it, but I definitely do. Or before, it was like, how do I genuinely support you without feeling like jealous or envy? And I realized it's because I was projecting what I thought they were, their lives were, and what they were thinking versus who they really were as human beings. So I guess my takeaway from, you know, what I'm grateful for is this, for you guys, for existing. Yeah, I'm just thankful for the opportunities that are in my life and a plethora of them. And yeah, thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Did you want to say one more thing? I mean, yeah. What are you grateful for, Helen? Before I, I we wrap mean, it up and change like, it to Q and A's. Okay, um, I'll keep it. I'll keep it short. Um, I am grateful for. I, mean, I think uh, when you asked the question, I thought a lot about my parents. Um, I think it wasn't until like two years ago when ABG. When you talk to your friends on a podcast, you're like forced to talk to each other. Like, get like super deep in there. And um, I came to terms that my family like did not grow up like wealthy at all. Like we were, we were like, we were like pretty poor but my mom never made me feel that way so I didn't know until I would say like high school that I was kind of aware of it like we lived in the same college like apartments as the Boston University college dorms that's the childhood home that I grew up in and it was like an apartment three-story apartment and it was beautiful because um my cousins would live on the first floor and my grandparents and then my other cousins would live on the second and then I'm on the third floor and it was just like a beautiful home right and we would take over the sidewalk with our like little tricycles and all of that and it was a really nice home in my eyes and my family, they worked really, really hard, like restaurant jobs. My mom, you know, took uh, English to uh, while while she had like two kids and she also tried to have like work another job. So when I think about it, I'm really grateful because I think the stamina that I have really does come from them. Um, sorry, I'm getting this fucking quiver and I'm getting emotional now. So it's like double the quiver. Want to sing a song and get what you use that vibrato? <laughs> uh. <laughs> 
only saying that because I don't have a vibrato, so I've always wanted. Anyway, I think, um, I think it's is it vibrato? It, it's, no, it's back to your family. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think about that because when I mentioned earlier, like just feeling stable in my life before I was able to start ABG, I think that it, I was able to do that because of how much my parents just never complained and just like worked really hard and did things and in in hindsight it's like yeah i kind of wish i started a little bit earlier trying to pursue these like side projects and creative projects um but you know that didn't happen and and i'm completely happy where i am now and i i would be a very different person if if i didn't have my family and didn't take that time to really build up who i am right now uh you know with this quiver so (laughs) yeah so i'm grateful for that thank you ladies So maybe we should open it up to Q and A now. Yeah, how much? Yeah. Do we have time for? Can we do a time check? The two questions. Anyone wants to? Hello, Anne. Um, so one of my questions is about like uh, the topic of failure that you guys uh, touched on. Um, it has to do with like when you guys deal with failure. Um, it's usually when you're pursuing something, right? So lately, I've been pursuing like um the medical field. So I'm like going to interviews and going to um trying to find different jobs to help me get into the medical field. But um, there are things where, like, I when I go when I fail from an interview, I think, is this should I just keep going and trying to find more interviews, or should I try something else? So, how do you know when um, when to try something else and when to um, keep pursuing what you're doing? Um, I I would say keep interviewing because it is totally dependent on the person that's interviewing you. you they could just have had a bad day and they're like, I'm going to take it out on whoever I'm interviewing. So I would absolutely say don't just give up on the first first try. Um, when in college we have this like this month where I was literally just in my suit um, and we were uh, it was senior year we were or junior year and we were applying for our you know internships and. The, it was literally back to back, take a test, go home, sleep in your clothing, go out, get another interview. And you just constantly keep going to so many different interviews for like the same type of field, right? But yeah, like I would say 50% of those hit and 50% of those didn't. But if you didn't try for the 50% that were positive, then you would never know that you were able to do that. And I think also just kind of if you are to get like a positive result from it, at least you know that you're able to and still make a decision of whether or not you want to be in this field. You get a little bit more clarity that way. I want to add something to this. I'm not on this panel, but uh, as you're talking, I think it's it's really discouraging. I've been there when I get denied all the time, but I think to ask yourself after each interview is like, do I still like this field though? Like when they're talking about the job description and the company, are you excited still? That's still a reminder. Like maybe this still, this field is something I still want to pursue. Um, and don't let that, don't let the failure of interviews like de- de- deter you from the path that you actually want to take. So ask yourself like, do I, am I excited when they talk about this school or this type of work that I can pursue? If it is, yes, then you keep interviewing. I also think setting specific parameters to help you. I think um, sometimes this is a very woo-woo thing, but it's like when you want something so bad, it kind of evades you. It's like always just out of your grasp. Um, and sometimes that that energy, it can follow you into an interview room. I've, I audition, so my failure rate is very high. And there's so many reasons why. I can either conclude that it's like, oh, I'm this terrible actress and whatever. Hollywood's racist. You can come to all these different conclusions. Or it's like you're amazing and you just weren't right for that part. You don't know why you did or did not get that interview. That's the sucky part, that you don't have any determining factor to guide you. Is it that I had a bad interview or is it that my resume or like, I don't, you know, what is it? Right. Um, so I think that feedback loop is important. Um, getting acclimated, but like, here's, here's my thing is that because I'm an actor, I have many side hustles. I have a lot of different avenues to like sustain myself. Sometimes focusing on something else for a second suddenly releases the pressure that you have on this thing over here that you really want. 
So it kind of alleviates you. And you can say like, hey, I'm going to go on 30 interviews. Like give yourself a number, like arbitrary number. Say what's a reasonable thing that I can do? Maybe that I'm just throwing suggestions. But maybe that'll help be like, okay, because after that, like fine, I'll, I'll steer. And who knows, maybe that release of pressure makes you feel more at ease when you're in that room because you're not only banking on that one thing. Does that make sense? Like it's weird psychology, but maybe that's something that will relax you. And then I like I what I hear you saying is also a broader question of people beyond just interviews is like, when do you know when to quit and when do you know when to keep going? And I think that is definitely a very personal question. And, you know, I would say this is why defining your values is a really good thing, because then you'll be able to recognize more what aligns with you, because the goal is to find that alignment of whatever you're doing. And I and some people, when you pursue your job, it's purely a job, right? You're just doing it. And you find your passion projects outside, fulfillment outside, right? But some people who come in with wanting to find fulfillment within their job, like alignment really comes into what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're spending your time doing? Is it worth your effort? Is it moving you forward in the ways that you want to show up in this world? So defining your values is a really, really good thing because then you actually get to connect with companies and people who also share in that value it's very quick when you know your values you recognize it very quickly when somebody else shares those same values so the goal is to connect with those people because then that only grows and give yourself time and i think some people it's like you try enough that at a certain point your friends are like dude quit the job you hate it already right you will know within yourself don't get to a point where you burn out people that are at a point of burnout, that is a red flag. There's a red flag mentally and physically that you need to pay attention that something is not aligned and have preventative ways before you get to the burnout to recognize the red flags that do not resonate with you. Because then you show up with that energy that impacts not only yourself, but the people at work, your family, your friends. I think we have time for just one, one more, more question, question before. Hello, Betty. If you could tell your younger self something, preferably around the ages of 21 to 23, <laughs> um, what would you tell yourself? And also, thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Betty. 21 to 23, to is that first. like, are you, you just graduated, right? Around that? Not yet. So you're junior to like about like about to graduate, you know? Junior around that to time. graduate. Okay, so you're still in school. This is turning into a merch plug, but I'm just going to own it. Um, I did this thing that has changed my life, and it's, again, very cheesy. Wait, 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 stop judging that. Um, I would tell every every version of my former self, including 21 to 23, I would tell myself that I'm enough. I think I, I really struggled with this, like, huge hole of, like, what do I got to do to be physically perfect and personality perfect and, like, make all the money and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I did this thing that I turned into a sticker. It's a, I'm enough. This is why, and I'll tell you, this is actually tied to the imposter syndrome of being in this event. I've been podcasting for a few years with Marvin, with collaboration, and then with First of All. I felt imposter syndrome being with these women, like straight up, because I was like, Asian Boss, I listen to both their podcasts, and I'm a huge fan, but I was just like, how am I supposed to like stack up against these incredible women? Like, even though I've been working on my confidence and all of that, I just have to, I'm spinning. You're Sorry, so huh? good. You're, they, they say this to me, right? But I was just vulnerable with them. So I think that that sense of um, nobody can feel that for you. I will say that for anybody 
No one can make you feel like you're enough. Same way no one can drink your water or exercise for you or like sleep for you. You have to do that yourself. I looked for it in men. I looked for it in jobs. I looked for it in money. I looked for it in my family. I looked for it in like Hollywood now. Like it's just not none of them. It's not going to work. I've tried. <laughs> so um, if I could have that sense of I'm enough and see that and say it to myself regularly and really believe it, say it enough that I believe it. You know, I don't regret my life, though, but I think that's still the same thing I would say. You have self-worth. <laughs> I'm like, what do I say? Um, I, I know, really, I really think that at that age, I, it took me a really long time to understand what self-worth meant. I always thought that self-worth meant like what I had to be doing and also what I had to be doing for other people to bring self-worth and that, that I'm of value. And I think I really recognize that that is just, that's not true. You know, it's just, you don't have to do a single thing for you to have worth. And I think when you, are able to tap into that, like what it is it that you as a person are, and it taps into the I am enough, that you don't need anything else for other people to just show up as yourself. And I know that's hard, it's a practice, right? But I think understanding that I don't have to do anything, I don't have to be a people pleaser, I don't have to be, I don't have to overcompensate, I don't have to lie to be accepted like I I as I am showing up with my honesty with my experience because at age 21 you have been through quite a lot too right don't take that away from yourself and just show up in every circumstance as yourself and it's okay to make quote-unquote mistakes there are really just it's not a mistake don't think of it as a mistake you know and I think that's where a lot of my fear and hesitancy came from moving forward because I'm like I don't want to make a mistake I don't want to fail and a lot of opportunities I think looking back now I was like oh that would have been kind of cool and interesting to see where that led to and I think a lot of that too really grounded from with people not necessarily the job but with people and feeling walking into a group of people and thank you so much for all you guys that came out without like bringing a friend and like it takes courage you know and I think showing up for yourself in that way understanding that you have self-value that you showed up for yourself you made a decision for yourself and I think if you move forward in life with that courage and don't judge people by what you think you know about them really take the time to ask them what their story is and people will surprise you and like to really just connect deeply and to see their self-worth, even if you don't agree with what are the things that they're saying, but just be open and curious to that. I want to keep this really short. Um, I, I take up all of your time. No, 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 I'm so no, sorry. No, no, not at all. These are really good. Like, I agree with everything that they're saying, but I think if I were to talk to myself at 21, 23, just like more practical things, I now at the age of above 30, I do see that as like very young still. So you know how like you would probably tell a kid, like, go have fun, go try things, go do things. If I were to talk to my college self, I'd be like, yeah, go, go for that dance class. You know, like don't have that fear inhibit you from trying those things because the older you get, I mean, we did a hip pop class me and janet recently and it was like awkward and i was like if i was younger it'd be less awkward <laughs> but, like go for it like literally just go for it anything that you're thinking in your mind of like oh i kind of want to do, do this but i'm fearful of it no one's going to remember if you embarrass yourself no one's going to remember that and you're going to have you're probably going to grow from it because you're facing your fears so go for it also learn how credit cards really work <laughs> that's true points get on the point system <laughs> I think that wraps our panel for today. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. So I
I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. We so, so loved Off the Mic, and our dream is to bring live events and Off the Mic all over the world, everywhere, so we can meet all of you guys in person and we can build bigger communities where people all over the world can feel less alone and be heard. So, you know, taking some of those actionable tips for ourselves during these holiday seasons so that we can plan and make it into a reality. But if you guys want to keep in touch with us until we come back for season four, you can follow us at perfectly.imperfect.podcast. And again, we're going to have weekly journaling together, so you'll hear a lot from us. Thank you guys so much for your love and support. We love you so much, and we'll see you guys next year. 2020. Have a great, beautiful holiday season and a happy new year. Bye!